You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, good morning. Welcome again to Grace Community Church. Some things never change. We have an early service, and you still have to get here early to get a good back row seat in this place. So, so uh, admire those of you who have done that. That's good. If you think about it, it might be good to move kind of this way as over, over the uh, coming months as we do this. Well, I... It's just one of those days, look, you hardly ever know when I have these days, and there are not too many of them, but I'm just really weary this morning, it's been a long week, Uh, elders had a great time meeting Friday night and most of the day yesterday, talking about what the Lord is doing at Grace and, and our growth and the vision for the future, which involves planting churches out of Grace, we're excited about a lot of that, but a lot's going on this week but then with, between the music and the, and the prayer time and that video, uh, man, my spirits are just lifted uh, to see how God is doing his work around the world and just offshore, but it may as well be the other side of the world uh, as, as far as most of us have been concerned for most of our lives in Cuba. So we're just grateful to be able to participate. And I immediately thought of people who are serving the Lord everywhere around the world that we get to be a, a, a part of. And Ricky's just come back, and Ryan, I don't know if Ryan's back yet. I think, imagine he is from India. Just lots of ways that we get to be a part of serving the Lord. Another thing we get to be a part of is potluck at 5.30 today. Potluck today! It's a good day. And it's a great time to do it, too, with us just going to two services where maybe you don't see everybody. So I want to encourage you to come tonight and either look for two, peop- uh, two types of people. One that in another service and you're not seeing uh, as you look around. Or two, someone you don't know. There are a lot of people here that you don't know. It would be a good thing if you could get to meet some of them. Just a couple of things to announce. Um, Gary and Debbie Nelson drove to Florida on Friday for vacation. Uh, They were going to be going on a cruise and got word when they got there that Gary's mom had died that morning. So they are on the way back today to North Carolina and then on to New Jersey on Tuesday for uh, wake and a funeral um, Wednesday and Thursday. So just a and <laughs> wow, if if you know them personally and you know everything they've gone through in the last two to three years, you just can't almost can't comprehend all the loss that that family has had. They are Gary's mom was ninety three. She's with the Lord, and everybody's excited about that uh, aspect of it. But still, it's loss. And uh, another loss that means a whole lot to our church, Becky Brisson. Uh, my second cousin, the, 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 the office administrator for many years here at Grace Community Church. And huge, huge in my life and in the lives of so many people. And such an important minister in the kingdom. Went to be with the Lord on, on Friday morning as well. So I'm not aware of any arrangements yet. I think maybe something at the beach. I'm not sure. I don't even know uh, that for sure. But uh, 
anyway, just pray for the family. Uh, those of you that know Becky's family, please pray for them. Well, if uh, and, and knowing that these two dear saints, both just about the same age, went to be with the Lord this week, uh, it makes heaven all the sweeter for us, those of us who look forward to that day when we are going to be with Christ. So if today is your first Sunday at Grace Community Church, I hope you will be pleased to learn that we are studying the Gospel of John. Now, when I say we're studying the Gospel of John, that doesn't mean that this sermon time is a Bible study. It's like you go to a Bible study, you pull out your notebook, and you fill in the blanks and, st and stuff like that. What it does mean, though, is that it's a recognition that, that, that pastors on Sunday morning tend to fall into one of two directions in their preaching. Now, there are lots of different ways that pastors preach, but typically you're going to go one way or the other. Uh, either the scripture directs the focus of the message or the point that the pastor wants to make sort of uh, drives and shapes the text into something that very likely God never intended. Or... Um, I, I, let me go ahead and illustrate this. Every text has a particular point, and here is the point that is being made. And then out here, you may have several applications. Like, for instance, where two or three are gathered together, there I am in the midst also. You know what that's about? It's not about when two or three people get together for prayer, then we can have a great prayer meeting because God has promised to be with us in that sense. There's Ryan over there. And we can pray, you know, on the golf course just as well as we can in church with or without Ryan. But what it means, what it's talking about is church discipline. Not a pleasant topic, but it's important. It's, it's where two or three are gathered together. They make a decision. Now, if you come out here, you can make the application that where two or three are gathered together, Jesus is there in a special way. But if you start from this place, that's when you come out here and start applying it on the golf course and at the lake and at the park and anywhere else or in the car with your family at home. So it's important to know what God means in a verse before we can understand what it means to me. So that's what I mean when I say, say that we are studying John's gospel. Last Sunday morning, we read a familiar passage, John 3, 1 through 15. And we were fortunate enough to sit in on a conversation. We got to be present in a conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee on the ruling council of Israel, known as the Sanhedrin. He was a leading teacher of the Jewish religion. And even though Nicodemus was an intelligent and good man, even so, as Jesus explained, necessary the necessary means for a relationship with God in the simplest of terms, Nicodemus had trouble grasping the truth of what Jesus was saying. What Nicodemus uh, would understand over time that was that Jesus was not only speaking the truth, but truth itself 
was standing before him. Jesus was the truth. Jesus is the truth as we look at him today. And that may answer the question, what does, begin to answer the question, what does a conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus 2,000 years ago have to do with us today? Well, if Jesus and Nicodemus were discussing the most important topic that every human being needs to understand, then it has everything to do with us. How to be right with the creator of the universe who is also redeemer and righteous judge. So, today's text, John 3, 16 to 21, is commentary on the conversation that we overheard last Sunday. Now, what I'm about to say might not be good news for some of you. It's really not that big of a deal. So before you get too upset, understand this. At some point, John ceases to record this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, and he moves over here and starts writing and starts giving commentary on what we just heard. Probably that point is between verse 15 and verse 16. So John begins to tell what that conversation really meant. And, and you may be thinking, now what, wait, are you saying that Jesus did not quote John 3.16? Probably not. Though again, it just doesn't make that much difference. But when you understand the structure, it helps you to understand the bigger message that Jesus or that God is getting through to us in uh, the scripture. By the way, uh, red letter Bibles, I'm, I'm sure some of you have red letter Bibles. It's great to know what Jesus is saying. If you've got a red letter Bible, most likely it shows that John 3.16 was said by Jesus in this whole text to, to verse 21. The ESV puts quotation marks around it indicating that Jesus spoke it. But of the four major commentaries that I use, they all said, no, probably the conversation broke off right here. Here's a word about red letter Bibles. The words of Jesus are important, but every word in Scripture is important. His words are not more important than other words. His words are important because they are truth, and it's because God himself speaking it. But if we believe this book is God-breathed in every Scripture, every piece of the Scripture is inspired for um, reproof and instruction, correction, and just the knowing how to live in all of Scripture is important. And a lot of people who want to say, really, I don't care about the rest of the Bible, only what Jesus says, those people tend to take Jesus' words out of context because truly we need all of Scripture to fully understand and grasp what Jesus was saying. So, all of that uh, to... Try to keep from being beaten up after church uh, by saying, John probably said, verse 16. So as we read this text, try to absorb the full weight of the monster themes that are given to us in this short section. And then consider how much of this weighty truth was in introduced to us in the prologue to John's gospel, which is in the first 18 verses of chapter 1. Although the message will focus on verses 16 to 21 of John 3, just for a little bit of context, we're going to go back and 
hear the very end of the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, although it's Jesus doing all the speaking from verse 13. So John uh, 3, verses 13 through 21. It's our custom to stand as the scripture is being read out of respect for the word of God. And let's do that. Jesus is speaking and says, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. That term, Son of Man, very important. We'll, we'll talk about it later. You can't say everything about that. Just we have to pick the places where we talk about it in John. Now John begins to write. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you have not left us here on this earth to try to figure out the best way to live. But you have not only shown us through your word. Pointing to Jesus who came and died for our sins. You've not only shown us Lord how to have eternal life. But how to live this life for the rest of our years. And so we pray that you would cause us to be those who walk in the light of the gospel. And in so doing point to the one who loves us so much. That he sent his son to die for our sins that we might live. We pray you'll open our eyes to the truth of this text. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you and be seated. There are three points to the message this morning, but they're really just designed to keep us in the proper lane. Uh, nothing profound so much in this, these points. Scripture describes two destinies, eternal life in Jesus or eternal condemnation without him. Taking the view that John 3, 16 to 21 is most likely John's commentary on the conversation that he heard between Nicodemus and Jesus, we can recognize that John understood what Jesus meant when he said, as the serpent is lifted up, was lifted up in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Do not ever lose sight of Jesus' death as we go through this gospel. I've said this so many times and maybe just recently. But it, it, it bears repeating over and over. When we come to church, we're not 
we're not called to remember the incarnation. We're not called to remember the resurrection. We're called to remember Jesus' death. And to proclaim his death until he comes. Because it was that death that made life, not made life possible, but brought life to us in Jesus. One commentary that I read this week, and this is important, think about this, um, said that in John 3, 16 to 21, the Apostle John is given a New Testament sermon of the Old Testament text of Numbers 21, 8 through 9. This is how it's done. This is the way a sermon is supposed to be preached. That's why I titled this first point, Scripture describes two destinies, not the New Testament describes two destinies. People were saved in the Old Testament the same way they are in the New. They believe the promises of God. It's just that we understand the promises of God more fully than those who uh, believed before Jesus. So it's not going to surprise you. In fact, if I had asked you, what's the most popular verse in the world? In, everywhere in the world, you'd say John 3.16. We all know that. It is the most popular verse in the world. We know that the Holy Spirit is the ultimate author of Scripture, regardless of whether Jesus said it or John's writing it as commentary. <clears throat> but the universal popularity of this verse is testimony to John's simple way of expressing profound truth. John 3.16, like everything else in Scripture, is written within a context uh, everything that's already been written in John 3 sets up verse 16, pointing to Jesus as the one who took the curse of, of our sin upon himself in the crucifixion and made a way that we might live eternally. How would you respond to one who says, well, I didn't ask Jesus to die for me. I mean, what's the big deal? I don't care about that. I don't need your God. I don't need your dead God on a cross. I would be righteously indignant, except that I said something very similar before I was saved. I remember thinking one time, God, if you're there, I didn't ask to be born. So what, you're going to make, you're going to create me and then you're just going to condemn me to hell. And then one day it occurred to me, you know what, I'm here. And if there is a God, I'm accountable to him. I better pay attention to what's important. God created human beings, but, but we were unable to avoid breaking the one command he gave us. Do not eat from the tree. Look, I don't have to say, those of you with small children, go home and give it a try. Just tell your child, there's one thing you cannot do this week. <laughs> no, I wasn't, I wasn't doing that. That's why I say, we, not Adam and Eve, we were unable to keep the one command God gave to us. And when Adam and Eve fell, we fell with them. I've always thought when people say, man, if they just hadn't, I'm like, oh, no, I would have messed it up, you know. If they hadn't, I would have. Our relationship with God was completely broken beyond any hope of repair, at least from any effort on our side. No way we can repair the damage. It's like 
carrying a, a beautiful, beautiful, expensive vase or vase, if you prefer, across the room. And it slips and it shatters. And you want to try to put it back. It's too late. It's too late. You can't do anything about it. Now, you may pay a lot of money for an expert, and they can get it close if you get all the pieces just right. But it's broken beyond repair in it, with your ability anyway to, to, to fix it. Adam and Eve knew they were in trouble when their eyes were open to their sin and they found themselves exposed. And so they responded in two very natural ways, pun not intended, but there nonetheless. First, they tried to cover their rebellion. They tried to cover up. We're exposed. Let's try to hide this from God. Good luck with that. And second, they blamed someone else for their sin. This woman that thou gavest me. You don't say that, do you, husbands? You don't say that, wives, do you? This man that thou gavest me. That's what Eve said, or that's what Adam said. And then Eve said, it was a snake that did it to me. In the end, God made a way to cover their sins. How did he cover their sins? Animal skins. What had to happen to get the animal skins? Blood had to be shed. They had to die. And the Old Testament is all about that, covering sins temporarily. With blood sacrifices. Now in John 3. God is making a way to remove sins forever. By sending his son to be the final sacrifice for sin. And all who believe in him will have eternal life. Where we will be free from the very presence of sin one day. Notice in verse 16. That while the offer of eternal life is on the table. The prospect of perishing is also in play. Not just that you might live, it's if you don't live, you will perish. It's one or the other. We cannot think about it when we just quote John 3.16 mindlessly, but ultimately, it's one or the other. We live or we perish. And we see this long before we get to John 14.6, where Jesus is going to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's the same thing John 3.16 says, only from a different angle. You can understand why people don't like the, the perishing aspect of John 3.16. I've heard many people say John 3.16 must be read in light of John 3.17. Indeed, context, context, context. But John 3.17 must be read in the context of John 3.18. Christianity is an inclusive religion with an exclusive message. Think about that. That's really Difficult for people to get their heads around. Who can be saved? Anybody. Who is welcome in our church? Anybody. Who believes is going to be saved. But you must believe this in order to be saved. 
in order to be a part of the church, capital C, we'll go with capital C is the universal church, little c is the local church, but most of the New Testament that is written to the church is written to the local church. God calls us together in communities. Who does he call together? People of all races, uh, nationalities, all backgrounds, socioeconomic, men and women, boys and girls together who believe that Jesus is the Christ. That doesn't mean that we keep people out. No, we want people to come and hear the message. But those who belong to Jesus are those who believe. So... I went to preaching and lost my place in the notes. Uh, God did not send Jesus in the world to condemn the world. Verse 17 says. But rather that the world might be saved through him. Now if we stop there. We might conclude that everyone will be saved eventually. But verse 18 explains verse 17. Jesus came into the world not to condemn the world because the world was already condemned. If you don't believe in Jesus, you already stand under judgment. (laughs) The second part of verse indicates that. When you understand the satisfaction (coughs) required for sin, verse 17 Becomes not, hey, let's all get together. It becomes a rescue mission. It's like we're riding the five class, class five rapids, and 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 we're in deep water, literally and figuratively. And there is no hope that we can rescue ourselves, but there is one if we will look to who will save us. God did not. Send Jesus to save you from yourself. He sent Jesus to save you from himself. Blood was required. Jesus died willingly after being sent by the Father. Some will think you are crazy if you put your hope in Jesus. But he is your only hope. And very soon for this life. It's not long. This life is not long. Very soon, either you will be saved and live eternally with God, or you will perish. No amount of self-improvement, no composition of a better message, no good works will save you. This is a crisis. It is yes or no to Jesus. And that leads us to the second point. Understanding the light. When God, when John says men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. We need to understand what he meant by that. Here's a challenge that I imagine some of you are going, going to accept. After every sermon in John. Go back to the prologue. John 1, 1 through 18. And see what the connections are. Oh my goodness. The connections between this text in John 1, 1 to 18 are a uh, 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 legion, they're myriad. They, you can't believe how many there are. There are several connections. I'm not going to mention though, other than to say the theme of light and darkness is an important theme from the prologue. And at the very end of the message, we're going to pick it up in John's letters to uh, a church as well. So how does John use the theme of darkness in the rest of this gospel? 
We saw last week that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. And while we might speculate about the implications of him coming at night, such as maybe he didn't want anybody to see, or maybe he just wanted this extended conversation. There's little doubt that John is developing this theme of light and darkness. When Judas left to betray Jesus, he went out into the night. When the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, they came with torches and lanterns because it was night. At the first stage of Jesus' trial, uh, Jesus challenged the Sanhedrin in so many words. Why didn't you arrest, arrest me while I was teaching openly in the temple in the day by implication? Why this sham of a trial under the cover of darkness? I said everything I said in the open. Think about this theme as we read verses 19 to 21. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So when you read, people loved darkness rather than light because their works were evil. What comes to your mind? I'm going to guess you think about sinful things like adultery and pornography and fraud and gossip and slander, substance abuse, things like that. You're going to think, uh, tend to think about, well, people are hiding the things that they do. And that is a fine application, if such an application can be fine. It is an application, but it, it's not here. It's out here somewhere. And if you put it out here, then you're going to, go further into saying, okay, so what do we have to do about it? And you may end up doing the very thing it's speaking against if you're not careful. The Holy Spirit, through the Apostle John, is pointing to the darkness in Nicodemus' heart. Remember, this is commentary on the conversation that we have overheard. And, and in the hearts of all who trust anything other than Jesus' death on the cross for salvation and redemption. The Pharisees, pointed out last week, thought that the way to salvation was through the keeping of the law of Moses and the traditions of the Father. Not only the law of Moses, but the traditions of of the Jewish fathers. They may have thought that they were so good that they didn't need Jesus, but being the humans that they were, their commitment to God's law quickly gave way to a commitment to the flesh. Jesus would say to them later, you give money to the temple. You do it very publicly. In fact, when you give alms to the poor, Little boys go in front of you and blow trumpets and say, Rabbi so-and-so is about to give. That's kind of how they did it in that day. And he said, you give very publicly, and it's a good thing that you do, but in doing that, 
two things. One, you're doing it for show. And two, you're robbing your parents of the support that you're supposed to give them. Your parents may go hungry, but hey, you look good in front of your buddies. That's what the law, living according to the law, is all about. It's for show. Now, look, the law was a beautiful thing. Paul says <coughs> the problem <coughs> excuse me, is not with the law. The problem is with my flesh. And we <coughs> will talk about that in a moment. I'm very sorry. All forms of law. Think about this. All, form, all forms of law. Not just the law of Moses. Any form of law that seeks redemption in which we seek redemption or salvation quickly spiral out of control. Last year, as we went through the book of Isaiah on Sunday mornings, we saw how the people of God were given over to the most egregious sins through their idolatry. But you know what? They look good. They look good on the outside. They did all the religious things. They did all the forms, but they were given over. They were practicing in darkness things that were Absolutely opposed to God's law. So after God judged them by allowing them to be taken captive by, by the Babylonians, there were some Jews who said, we can never allow this to happen again. We need to be very careful to keep the law. Think Ezra in Nehemiah. <clears throat> some people have said Ezra was the first Pharisee, and it makes perfect sense when you think about it. He had a love for the law of God, and he said, we need to keep this law <clears throat> because of God's gracious love to us. But people get that order reversed. Not we should keep the law so God will love us, but we should keep the law because God does Love us. Somewhere along the way between Ezra and Jesus' time, keeping the law lost its focus and law keepers became more about me than about God. <clears throat> there are patterns in history that become obvious to those who were willing to take the time to study history. And the number in our day who take the time to study History, admittedly, is shrinking. Less and less people care about the past because we have become so enlightened in our day. That we just need to think about the present and the future. <clears throat> there are many of you here who remember, not that you read about, you don't, you don't read about this. You remember the days in America where anything goes, hey, you, whatever... <clears throat> Whatever turns you on, whatever makes you feel good, whatever is right for you is fine. Truth for you may not be truth for me, but that's okay. We can all get along. Let's just live together and everybody pursue his or her <clears throat> own version of the truth. Many things that have been practiced in the dark were suddenly brought into the light and somehow became acceptable. And that gave a sense of legitimacy <clears throat> to sinful behavior. The spirit of the age was, hey, good for you. Not necessarily good for me, but that's okay. Truth became relative. Truth for me is 
my business. Truth for you, that's your business. It's relative. It's not like, here's the truth for everybody. But no society can function the way that we functioned in the last half of the 20th century for long. If there are no shared values, think about it. And I'm not talking about America here. But it applies. All of this applies. You'll get the application in just a minute. I hope it makes sense. And I don't, look, I used to talk about this kind of stuff a lot more than I do. And I I really don't want to. Just making sense of the conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus and how we have the same tendencies today. If there are no longer shared values, then a nation begins to fray at the edges. And soon enough, it will unravel. And as Paul Johnson said, British historian, relativism cannot be sustained in a society. Relativism inevitably degenerates into confusion. Confusion into chaos. Chaos into anarchy. And out of anarchy, order will come, but not the kind of order you desire. Get this. Order or law must come. In a positive sense, law provides structure and security. Man, talk to your kids. We talked about this at the parenting class the other night. Talk to your kids on the way home today. Hey, wouldn't it be great if just one day there were no traffic laws? No, it wouldn't be great, would it? It would be awful. We understand the benefits of law. It provides structure. It provides security. But in a negative sense, in our relationship with God, law provides people with an alternative structure for salvation and a satisfying means of self-redemption. Is this making sense? You're tracking Nicodemus to 21st century America. If you believe that Scripture teaches... That marriage is designed for one man and one woman. You may think that we are sinning as a nation in the worst kind of way in our land. In reality, we're writing new laws. We're just changing what we believe is right and wrong. And we're writing new laws. There is a battle for what is right and wrong. And you have no more, you no more have the option of believing what you want to than those who disagree with you had the option of believing what they wanted to when you were the one in influence. It just shifts. The power just shifts in, in, in all nations. And somebody has to say about what is right or wrong. We're increasingly divided in our land, not only on gender and sexuality issues, but almost every issue, capital punishment, gun control, economic policies, environmental issues, and the list go on. You may consider same-sex marriage to be immoral, but there are many on the other side of the aisle who consider your failure to support environmental restrictions to be immoral. Even though God or Jesus receive little attention in our day, we are becoming more rigid every day in our preferred forms of law. Just like Nicodemus came to Jesus. He said, what are you talking about? Everybody knows how to find redemption. You make yourself acceptable 
to God. That's what we're doing, even if the God is me. Nicodemus was in darkness, even though he was a very good man who obeyed the law of Moses to the best of his ability. Jesus' conversation with him was a ray of light that drew him in and eventually led him to become a follower of Jesus. What does it mean to walk in the light? That's the focus of our last point. Walking in the light of the gospel, love is the answer. You may think, wow, you're going to say that right after what you just said? Yes, hang with it. It's the whole package. One of the alarming practices of our society is the way that not only are people held to a high standard of belief and practice today according to the law of the culture or the law of the land, but if you broke a forbidden law 30 to 40 years ago when the spirit of the culture was freedom with no restrictions, then you are out, my friend. Your life is pretty much over. There is no redemption for you. If you broke the law way back then, no room for growth, no room for change. It struck me this week that the only people who do not have to answer for antiquated beliefs and practices are the young. And when those who have little experience or understanding of history are in charge, the rest of us are in trouble. They're in trouble. We're all in trouble. We're bound to repeat the mistakes of the past, even if we know them. If we don't know them, we're really heading that direction. So what is the answer? It's multifaceted. Here is a list from the text with limited explanation. Number one, our hope is personal and is found only in Jesus. Although God blesses his children with, with, with communities that support and build one another up, build us up in Christ, the decision to follow Jesus is personal. Do the majority of the people in this room believe that Jesus died for sin and that through repentance and faith is our only hope of salvation? Yes, but they can't believe it for you. It's up to you. To make that choice. The question is not whether you're a member of the church. If you've been baptized. If you, if you give to charity. If you support the right causes. And are opposed to the wrong causes. The question is. Have you acknowledged your sin. Before a holy God. And have you trusted Jesus as your personal savior. Second. Walking in the light of the gospel. Is about redemption and forgiveness. For it is about. Before it is about accountability. What are the two primary requirements for the gospel? I was so glad David put the text up that he did this morning. Do you not know that the goodness of God leads us to repentance? That's what John 3.16 is about. The goodness of God leads us to repentance. Repent and believe. That's what it means to be saved. I'm not saying it is acceptable to hide your sin. And that's not what that verse is about. It is definitely an application as we'll see. The next two points will dispel such a misguided notion that once you're saved, you can live like you want to. Best not to let other people know about it, but you can live any way you want to because you've been forgiven. No, uh, <clears throat> what I'm, I'm, I'm saying is that we should be careful not to allow ourselves to think 
that the way of salvation is to achieve perfection. Perfection by holding to the law of Moses or any other law that someone happens to promote. You know, the law du jour. Third, a gospel-centered life absolutely impacts our behavior. Romans 6 tells us that it's, it's not that we are free now to sin. We are not free to sin. We are free not to sin. God does for us what we are incapable of doing ourselves. The problem with all laws is that you have to keep changing it if you want to stay out in front of it. You know, because you're going to mess up somewhere, but you start making little adjustments to the law. You tighten it up in some areas and you loosen it in some areas so that you can make accommodation for yourself or for somebody else if you want to do it just right. Those who walk in righteousness through faith... Walk in the light. And the Apostle Paul said of those who mischaracterize his message of forgiveness to accuse him of promoting a sinful lifestyle, their condemnation is just. This is not about throwing off the law. It's about fulfilling the law because of what God has done for you in Christ. And it's wanting to please him and desiring to please him and walking in the light. So how do we deal with the reality of our sin and God's expectation for his children to leave righteous lives? That's the focus of the fourth application. 1 John 1 provides instruction for walking in the light. It's really awesome. He says, if you say that you walk in light and you walk in darkness, you're deceiving other people. You lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, verse 7, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ is cleansing us, that present tense. It's a continual action because we're continually sinning and repenting. And, and Jesus' blood is cleansing us from all unrighteousness, cleansing us from all sin. Then verse 8, if we say that we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves. We go from deceiving others to deceiving ourselves. Verse 9, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10, if we say that we have no sin, his word is not in us. We no longer have touch with reality, with God's plans but the Christian life is a life of repentance and belief and trust. Not that you get saved over and over again. That's not the point. But that relationship with the Lord is constantly being <clears throat> cleansed. Just like, you know what it's like to go a day without taking a shower? You know what it's like to go two days without taking a shower? How about three? Anybody got three? Uh, not, not pleasant after a while, isn't it? Um, that's what living in the light of the gospel does. We're reminded that we are sinners who are forgiven. God is gracious to forgive us. So, if you continue to walk in the darkness of sinning habitually and covering your sins then you need to check your relationship with God to make certain that you're saved. Especially if you don't care, you're just 
covering up and it's kind of like I'll play this game. That's what people in the law who are committed to the law do. So make sure of your relationship with Christ. But brothers and sisters, do not expect to live this life without sinning. And don't expect your brother and sister to live without sinning. You know the difference between major and minor surgery, right? Minor, major surgery is what I have. Minor surgery is what you have, right? We all have those kinds of sins too. You know what the really egregious sins are and the ones that everybody gets that really are not that big a deal. The ones I commit are not that big a deal. The ones you commit, oh boy. You know what? When you live like that, you're living according to the law. And we're... <clears throat> God forgives and cleanses those who confess their sins to him. Last of all, in the end, now I want, I want the worship team to come on up, if you will. Just come up while I'm doing this last point. Don't get distracted. This is, you know, it's that getting the new time straight. Because this is very important. In the end, it is not our better arguments about political issues that makes us light to the world. It's our love for Jesus, our love for one another, and our love for those God loves. That is, the world. For God loved, so loved the world that he gave his only son. It was news to the Jews that God loved the world. They knew that he loved the nation of Israel. But for him to love the world, it's a big deal. Love really is the answer. You may thought have thought I was on a political horse a while ago. I'm really not. I've been on it plenty of times in my life. And you know what? It's not until I get off that I'm able to share the gospel effectively. It's true that a cogent, compelling, consistent biblical worldview is an important witness in our day. And we should always be ready to share the gospel with those who ask for the hope that is within us. But really, it's about love. And we're back to where we began, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So spend more time this week. Loving your fellow human beings. People who share the human condition. Who just who struggle just like you do. Although it may look different. Spend more time loving them. Than creating and polishing. Your new law. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church. Located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.